Well, good evening, everyone. My name is Amy, and I'm the executive pastor here. And I want to start off tonight by sharing some pictures from Cholula, Mexico. These were taken by Josie Ortega, who, if you don't know her, is our lead children's catechist here. And Josie has one of these pictures hanging on the wall of her home. And a while back, I saw it, and I asked her about it. And she told me the most wonderful story. She talked about how a few years ago she was in Cholula with her family during Holy Week, and she watched as hundreds of people worked in the streets creating these elaborate patterns out of what turned out to be millions of dyed wood shavings. That's what makes those vibrant colors that you see. So the people used stencils and the wood shavings to carpet the streets with these beautiful designs. Now, some are simple, they're just repeated like lilies and crosses and fish. And then some are more elaborate pictures with scripture, like this one that I absolutely love that has Jesus and says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, the reason for all of this beauty is Cholula's annual Stations of the Cross procession, which is sort of like a somber parade. It's a way of marking the final hours of Jesus' life by walking and pausing and praying and reading scripture and remembering together. And so this procession winds through the streets of town and goes over these elaborately decorated streets and just tramples them. And Josie told me that actually as you saw people making these patterns, you could hear the procession in the background, like 30 minutes away. So they were working furiously to make this thing that was about to be destroyed. Can you imagine laboring like this, creating something so beautiful, something that takes months and months of preparation, of dyeing those wood chips, and thousands of hands, that's all going to be trampled and destroyed in moments? Does it seem worth it? Does it seem worth the time and the resources and the skill that was poured into it so that for just a few minutes, Jesus' death would be remembered in your streets? It feels over the top. It feels extravagant. It feels so costly that it almost seems foolish. Well, I want to suggest that tonight's story from Mark's Gospel is kind of like those Cholula streets and that we see people going kind of over the top to welcome Jesus into their city. And more than that, I want to suggest that it is worth it, that remembering Jesus, that inviting him to walk down our streets and through our neighborhoods and through our lives and into our hearts, that it is worth any cost, that Jesus is worth remembering and his story is worth telling and it's worth every extravagance and every foolishness for his sake. So let's get into tonight's passage, which is from Mark chapter 12. Now, normally we would stand and read the gospel at this point, but we already did that outside. But if you're anything like me, sometimes it's hard to remember things that you read or did 10 whole minutes ago. So don't worry, the passage is actually in your little leaflets if you want to follow along, and I will try to sort of retell the story. So if you've been worshiping here for a while, then you probably remember that ever since September, we have been working through Mark's gospel. 
We've been doing this sermon series called Walking with Jesus. And we took a little break in Advent, and then we came back to Mark. And then we've taken another little break in Lent to look at spiritual practices, and now we're back in Mark. And once again, we are walking with Jesus. And so tonight, we're walking with Jesus into Jerusalem with a lot of fanfare. So what's happening here? Well, the story starts off really simple. Jesus and his disciples are walking to Jerusalem. And just to give a little bit of context, it's the time of the Jewish Passover, which means that everybody is walking to Jerusalem, especially a popular rabbi like Jesus. Every year at this time, Jerusalem just gets packed out to the walls with Jews from all over who are making pilgrimage to their holy city to celebrate Passover. And why? Well, Passover is the time that the Jewish people remember that God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. It's when they remember their identity, remember who they are, that they're people who have a special relationship with God, a God who has rescued and protected them again and again, and a God who has always promised to send them a Messiah for one big sweeping final rescue mission. So Passover means all this stuff to the Jewish people. And at the time of Jesus, remembering that stuff has become really important. Because at this time, the Jewish people and their promised land of Israel and their holy city of Jerusalem, they're all under Roman occupation. They've been conquered and they don't really feel like special, chosen, rescued, free people anymore. They're just kind of this little ethnic minority group on the margins. They're different. They're kind of an annoyance to their occupiers and they make the authorities really nervous. And so right now in their shared history, it's really important for them to hold on to a ritual like the Passover that reminds them who they are and that rekindles their hopes for the future. And that's why they flock to Jerusalem to celebrate together at the temple. And that's why for a few days every year, the air in Jerusalem just gets charged with this electric hope. Because maybe, just maybe, this will be the year when God finally sends the Messiah, someone to overthrow these Romans and remove all of our shame and oppression and lead us in victory. Maybe this is the year. So Jesus, just like everyone else, is headed to Jerusalem with his friends, but when they get to the Mount of Olives, which overlooks the city, they pause. And Jesus asks a couple of his disciples to go on to Bethany, which is just this little village if they're here and Jerusalem's there, it's right here. So kind of in the middle. And he wants them to go ahead and get a donkey for him to ride. And this is where we start to see that Jesus is not just another religious pilgrim. He's not just a popular rabbi. Because pilgrims walk into Jerusalem. And Jesus is going to ride a donkey. So in riding, instead of walking, Jesus is reenacting all these stories that they all know by heart. Like the time that their ancestor Solomon rode through town on a donkey to his coronation as king. Or like the time people spread cloaks on the ground for another coronation for King Jehu. And Jesus is fulfilling the old prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9, which I'm going to read for us in the message because it's awesome. It says, Raise the roof, daughter Jerusalem. Your king is coming a good king who makes all things right, a humble king riding on a donkey. 
So whether it's the stories or the prophecies or just the strangeness of the sight, when people see Jesus on that donkey riding into Jerusalem at Passover, something gets stirred within them. Something kindles those old hopes and longings, and they just erupt into worship. They throw their cloaks down in the road for the donkey to trample, and they make this kind of impromptu red carpet for Jesus. And they run into the nearby fields, and they cut down all these leafy branches to wave, and they start to shout and sing the victory song of Psalm 118, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And so everything here starts to look like a coronation parade. And so in this frenzy, they march together right down to the temple where the inevitable next step is that Jesus is going to be crowned their king. He's going to tell them he's the Messiah. He'll topple the Roman Empire and vindicate his people. So let's listen to what happens next. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. kind of anticlimactic, right? It was late. Jesus is just going to go to bed. And this is where we see that Jesus is not the kind of king that people were expecting. That all that hope that had been stirred up in the streets, it's going to be disappointed and kind of deflated here in the temple. And over the next seven days, those hopes are going to keep getting deflated as it becomes obvious that Jesus didn't come to triumph, to reign over some powerful earthly kingdom. And all that hope-fueled, extravagant worship in the streets is going to feel more and more foolish as King Jesus serves and suffers and dies. And so I want to ask again what I asked at the beginning. Was it worth it? Imagine these crowds a week from now. They're looking around at their city, and the fields are now just cut bare where things used to grow. And their cloaks are all trampled and filthy and marked with donkey hooves. And this man that they thought was their king is hanging, dying on a cross. Was it worth it? All this extravagance just for a moment with Jesus in the streets. Was it worth it? Well, I want to talk for a minute about hope. Because hope is the unspoken undercurrent in this story. Hope is what drove those Jewish pilgrims to Jerusalem at the Passover. Hope is what caused them to shed their cloaks and cut their palms and parade and sing when they see Jesus on a donkey. And if you think about it, that hope is really remarkable because the Jewish people have been enslaved and wandering, exiled, occupied for most of their existence throughout history. And when your collective life has been marked with all this hardship and disappointment, it's only natural to train yourself not to hope. And we do this too. We harden ourselves, we numb ourselves, we play little tricks in our brains so that we never really have to allow ourselves to hope for anything because we're so scared of being disappointed. Real hope feels dangerous 
and vulnerable because the more we hope, the more vulnerable we are to loss and pain, having our expectations unmet. It's terrifying. And yet we see in this story these occupied people who have every reason to be these grizzled hope killers, and they suddenly erupt in this huge outburst of hope. These Jewish pilgrims dare to place all their hopes on Jesus, and they get excited, and they act like kids, and they throw themselves into it with everything they've got, including literally the coats on their backs, as a way of saying, we really, really, really hope this guy is the one we've been waiting for. And then Jesus disappoints them all week long, over and over. He makes it perfectly clear that he is not the king they were hoping for. Like when he gets down in the dirt and washes feet like a slave. Like when he's arrested and tried and convicted and executed like a common criminal. Like when he dies. But for the few that stick with him, Jesus makes clear he is up to something so much better than what they had been hoping for. Their hopes for a Messiah weren't too big for Jesus. They were too little. Jesus is a king, and he is the Messiah. But he's not here to conquer Rome. He's here to conquer sin itself. And its catastrophic grip on the human heart. And all of the darkness and the sorrow and the brokenness that it has been working in the world for all generations up till now. So honestly, this was a really hard week for me. The world is really broken, and we are really broken. And my sins and your sins are real, and they hurt people, and they tear things, and they break hearts. And frankly, I am preaching to you pretty heartbroken today about a world where sin and darkness sometimes seems like it's running rampant, where bodies get sick and they never heal, where war and poverty and exploitation and injustice feel overwhelming and ever-present, and where sin carries terrible consequences in my life and in the lives of people I love dearly. And so all week, I've just felt the foolishness of it all, of waving these little palms and preaching this gospel of a king who came to die. It feels so small, so ridiculous, in the face of a world that is so full and so hurt by sin and suffering. But that's the invitation of Palm Sunday. Jesus invites us to lay everything down and make him a path in our lives. We shed our cloaks and we lay them at his feet. And we shed our little hopes, hopes for a king who does what we want him to, who behaves the way we want him to. We lay them down. Jesus is not that king. 
He's not going to serve our small hopes for worldly triumph, for political gain, for personal glory. Jesus is going to disappoint those hopes every time, and we may as well throw them down. But Jesus is up to something bigger. He is on his way to the cross where he is going to free the whole world and you and me from the oppression of sin. So let's throw ourselves into hoping for that big, crazy thing that Jesus is doing. Let's sing hosannas and wave palms and follow him through the streets all the way to the cross, all the way to the empty tomb with this foolish, extravagant, unguarded hope. And I can assure you, it is worth it. It's worth it. Hope in Jesus will never, ever disappoint. It's worth it. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for Palm Sunday. Would we be brave enough to hope in you, to wave palms and cry out for you to save us? Thank you for being our king. Amen.